turning to Luke chapter 24, and that's page 885 of the Church Bible. So, <clears throat> uh, as we're coming up to Christmas, uh, some of us may be thinking of uh, preparing for that and uh, making some of the customary foods that go along uh, with Christmas meals. Now, uh, I don't know if any of you like to have turkey or like to have bread sauce with your turkey, but uh, in my family, we like to have bread sauce with our turkey. And uh, last year, my wife Rachel made bread sauce according to the recipe which she's used for some years. Now, um, the way she does it is she gets an onion, puts some cloves in it, puts some spices, and boils them in a pot of milk. Okay, she boils them in a pot of milk. Then the idea is that you strain out your onion and all the spices, and the spiced milk that is left, you mix with the breadcrumbs to make your bread sauce. Very nice. So last year, Rachel was merrily doing this, and had boiled the onion, boiled the spices in the milk, and strained it all out into the sieve, and then saw that she hadn't actually put a jug under the sieve, and all the milk went down the drain. So the very thing that she was kneading disappeared. Okay, she had to start again. Uh, she was left just holding uh, a rather milky onion and some herbs and, and so on. Now, why do I start with this story? It's to bring to our mind, though, we can have the problem of losing what is most important and keeping what may not be so important. And can I suggest that that's what we can do when we come to reading the Bible? I wonder what you look for when you turn to read the Bible. Do you come to God's Word saying, well, I want to have an experience of God as I read this. I want God to be present to me. Or maybe you think, well, I need to read God's Word to know how to be good, uh, to, to learn the difference between right and wrong, and to know what's how to live in a way that's good. Or you might think, well, I need to come to God's word to learn how to be successful, to have success in my life, and to do, uh, live life in such a way that will uh, be to my benefit. But the problem with each of these approaches is this. Who is at the centre? Who is at the centre of each of those approaches? It's all about me. It's all about coming to God's word, looking for what's right for me. Now, don't mishear me. Some of those things can be good in and of themselves. It's good to meet God. It's good to know uh, how it is to live in a way that's pleasing and honouring to God. But can I suggest to you that we should be coming to Scripture looking to find a different point looking to see that actually there is a story in Scripture and we need to see what that story is and learn for it from ourselves. In fact, if we look back at that passage, we'll see none other than the Lord Jesus telling us what the story is about, what the centre of that story is as well. So today, what we're going to see is what is the centre of the story of scripture and to learn what the centre of the story of scripture is and then see what the climax of the story of scripture is to see the continuation 
of the story of Scripture, and then finally the conclusion of that story. So the centre of that story. Now, uh, in our reading, we saw that this is on the first Easter day. And there on the afternoon, we've seen in the morning the appearance of the risen Lord Jesus, this astonishing appearance of him, and the mystifying way that his disciples just can't work out what is going on here. And we, Luke takes us to these two people walking on this road to Emmaus. And if we see that their reaction from Cleopas, especially when they meet Jesus, and uh, he, the risen Jesus, asks them, what's the conversation? Verse 17, you're holding with them as you walk. And they stood still looking sad. Cleopas and uh, his companion are devastated Uh, To them, it's like they've been watching their favourite TV series and the person they hope is going to be the hero to resolve it all dies in the middle of it. But of course, that's way too trivial. This is like their whole world has come crashing down around them. As I go on to explain in verse 19, when Jesus asks what things have been happening then, they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God, and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And they further go on to report about the, the early reports, the kind of garble reports they've heard, that he is supposedly risen, that his body is no longer there. And then do you see how Jesus responds? And, and, and to someone who, who seems devastated and upset, it seems on the front face of it to be rather harsh. Do you see what he says in verse um, 25? He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of hearts to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? he's, He's taking them to task for not having read their Bibles when they've been devastated. But see what he goes on to say. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory. And Luke tells us, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself. And then when we go on to uh, the, the second part where Jesus has appeared to his disciples in Jerusalem, you notice what he said there in verse 44. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. There's everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus stresses first to Emmaus and to his, uh, uh, Emmaus, Cleopas and his friend on the way to Emmaus, and now to his disciples in Jerusalem that the centre of the story of Scripture was he himself, was Jesus. Jesus is the one who is at the centre of Scripture. And remember, of course, that Jesus is talking to them here about the Old Testament. He's talking to them about books where his very name is not actually even mentioned. Now he's saying to them that the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, which is another way of talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the the law of Moses, 
the prophets, what we would call the history books, as well as what we call the prophets, and the Psalms, which basically refers to all the other writings there as well, alongside the book of Psalms. In other words, the whole Old Testament, he said, these things there were, everything there is written about me. And Jesus is saying, I am at the centre of the story. If you want to see what the main point of reading scripture is, you need to be reading it looking for and indeed finding me. Just to go on, have you ever thought about that to yourself, that on the first Easter day, on, the, on, on Resurrection Sunday, what Jesus spent much of his time actually doing? Now, Jesus was being risen. He was in a glorified body. We could imagine that Jesus maybe could have spent all his time showing himself, saying, look, this is what God's new creation looks like. We could imagine that Jesus could have spent all his time talking to his disciples about, now, um, you're going to have to convince people that I've been raised from the dead. Now, here's a number of different proofs to show that I am actually alive. Now, that's the way we tend to think when we think of the resurrection of Jesus. How can we convince people? What did Jesus see was more important? He spent much of his time on that day going through the scriptures with his disciples so that they could understand that this was that he was the centre of the story. This is where the story was always going. The story that began at creation. The story that ended up with Adam and Eve, God's creative image, the human beings who he had made, rejecting him, rebelling against him in the garden by eating the fruit that when God had given them the whole garden to enjoy, by eating the one forbidden fruit, failing to trust him, and yet him responding with a desire to reach out to them in relationship, first making a covenant, a promise to Abraham, renewed through Moses to God's people Israel, and then uh, watching over, encouraging those people, sending them a, a, a king in the shape of David, and yet seeing them reject and turn away from him. This is the story that Jesus says, I'm the one who's at the centre of it. I'm the one clear path who you were looking for when you were talking about uh, the, the one who you had hoped was going to redeem Israel, to rescue Israel from their sins. I am actually that one. I'm at the centre of the story. So can I suggest there's, there's two things, two questions really to take away from this for yourselves. When you read scripture, what is the question, can I suggest, that you should have in your mind? There's two questions, can I suggest. First of all, where does this fit into the story? Where does this fit into the story? Much of the Old Testament, and much of the New, is a story. Where does this fit in? Where is God's promise? What is God's work at this point in the story? Where does it fit into the story? But your second question is then, how is this looking forward to Jesus, or how is it looking back to him? In the Old Testament, how is it looking forward to Jesus? In the New Testament, how is it looking back to him? What's it teaching you about our Lord Jesus Christ? He's the one who's at the centre of the story. But then we go on to see what the climax of the story is. What do I mean by the climax? Well, uh, hopefully to take a well-known story. The Pied Piper of Hamlin. You might remember what happens in the story of the Pied Piper of Hamlin. Well, the, the, the city of Hamlin has a problem with rats. There's this strange piper who appears to the city council and says, I can get rid of these rats. And they say, oh, we'll give you bags of gold if you can do that. And then having done it, 
what do they do? They say, oh, clear off, we're not giving you anything. And of course he sadly then goes and pipes his music through the streets and casts a spell and leads the children away. And therein really is the climax of the story when the children disappear. The children of the town disappear with this Pied Piper. That's the climax at the point where the moral really hits home. That because of their foolishness, they have lost their children. But where's the climax here? Where's the climax of Scripture's story? Well, Jesus himself uh, points this out to his disciples. If you look in verse 45, we read that he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. These are the disciples now gathered in uh, Jerusalem. And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He's saying this was the climax of the story when the Messiah, the Christ, God's promised king, should suffer and die and be raised again. This was the thing that the story was always heading towards. And what Jesus is saying is that this was the climax of the story of Israel, apart from anything else, that God's people who had rejected and rebelled against him needed someone who would represent them and live the life that they had not and did not live for themselves. If you think of it, when the, the queen uh, meets a head of state, uh, entertains them at Buckingham Palace, she meets them as the head of the United Kingdom. She represents the whole of our country, just as whoever the visiting uh, president or prime minister is representing their country. And Jesus, as the Christ, as the Messiah, is the representative here of God's people. He's the one who takes, therefore, upon himself all their sins and all their failures and all their wrongdoings and dies on the cross in their place. That is the climax of the story. And yet that same day, God had kept his promise and had raised Jesus to life and given hope and shown that his sacrifice had been accepted and that there was a new creation that was awaiting them. But the important thing, I think, for us to really grasp the climax of the story is, well, do we get why this is the climax of the story? And I'd say that you don't unless you see just how bad you are. If I can put it like this, unless you recognise that before God you have rebelled against him, that you are a sinner, that you are lost, and you deserve his punishment, except for the fact that his son, the Lord Jesus, took your place. He was God's representative dying on the cross. He was there dying for you. He was the one who took the full weight of God's punishment against your sin there on the cross. And he was the one who therefore revealed God's new future, God's new creation in being raised from the dead. He's the one therefore in which that's the climax of the story. Through him now we have real and lasting hope. Is that true of you? Do you really understand the grasp just how deep God's love for you is? That he gave up his only son to die on the cross for you. Because otherwise the climax of scripture will not mean anything to you. It will be a, maybe tragic, a sad thing, but you won't see that that was there for you. That Jesus gave himself for you. So that's the, we've seen Jesus at the centre of the story, we've seen that his death and resurrection are the climax of the story. But if you continue to read, you'll see that the story continues. 
And indeed, that's what the rest of the New Testament is about. Um, if we see in verse 46, we've seen that uh, uh, Jesus said that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So the story is to continue with the good news of Jesus being proclaimed. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. This is how the story is to continue. And this is why it is good news in the first place for ourselves. That because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God accepts our repentance. God accepts us when we turn to him and we say, God, I'm ashamed of the life I have lived. I deserve your punishment, but because of your love to me in the Lord Jesus, because my sins have been laid on him and he has died in my place, I can know your forgiveness. I can be made right with you. With your help, I can live a different life that is honouring and pleasing to you. And the wonderful news that as a result, forgiveness of sins can be proclaimed. I wonder if we are beginning to appreciate just how rare a thing forgiveness is these days. When you think of how people's lives can be changed overnight, in these days of social media through one uh, mistake, through one unwise social media post, careers are wrecked and there is seen to be no forgiveness. You have put yourself beyond the pale. And even if it's something that you wrote years ago, people have this amazing ability, don't they, now to, to trawl through and bring up these things. Here is what this person is really like. Sadly, we're living in a, in a highly um, moralistic age, frankly, where unless we measure up to the expectations of people around us, then you're written off, sadly. And that means, though, that we live in a world that desperately needs to hear forgiveness. That it is possible for our sins to be cleansed, our mistakes, our past wrongdoings can be and are cleansed because our Lord Jesus Christ has washed them away. That when God looks at us, he sees us as being clean and made right before him in Christ. He sees us as being loved and adopted children in him. No matter what the world may think around us, no matter what accusations may fly in our face, we can know that the, the, the living God as our Father, as the one who loves and accepts us. And the wonderful thing is that this is news that is to be proclaimed to all peoples in all nations and and indeed, as Jesus uh, goes on to say, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. The Lord Jesus was, was promising that the Holy Spirit accompanies us, goes with us, empowers us, as we seek to make this message known. This is good news for you. It's good news for your neighbours. It's good news for your family. It's good news for your classmates or, or, or workmates. <coughs> And God goes with us by his Holy Spirit to enable us to make that message known that the Lord Jesus has given his life so that people could be forgiven and made right with the living God. So we see Jesus is the centre 
of the story, that his death and resurrection are the climax of the story, that the story continues with the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins. But there is a conclusion to the story, and for that we need to just turn over to the way Luke continues his story in Acts chapter 1. Luke, in his second volume, just adds this extra detail of the scene by which he ends, with Jesus ascending to heaven. And he adds these words in, Luke, in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, where there are two men, no doubt angels, who look at, uh, who see the disciples gazing into heaven after Jesus ascends, and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the conclusion of the story, that Jesus will come again in power and in glory, that Jesus who came the first time to live and to die and then to rise again will come again as our judge and will come again as the one to bring in God's new creation. That is the conclusion of the story, that he who died will come again as our judge. On the one hand, that should fill us with a sense of, of fear. Am I ready to meet him? Am I ready to stand before he who will come again? But we should be comforted by the fact that the one who is our judge is also our saviour. The one who is our judge is the one who has suffered and died in our place. So that we can look forward with confidence. We can look forward with hope that our Lord Jesus will come again and make all things right in this world. He will restore God's uh, world and bring in God's new creation. So this is a story that we have. We've seen that Jesus is at the centre of this story. We've seen that his death and resurrection is the climax of the story. We've seen that the story continues as we proclaim the good news of repentance and faith in Jesus to all people. And then we see the conclusion of the story is the coming of Jesus to restore all things and to judge. So the challenge is for us. What difference will this make to us when we come to read God's word? I hope that we have, uh, uh, as a result of thinking over these things this morning, uh, a new sense of God's word is for me. Jesus is at the centre of it, and I'm to put him at the centre of my story, just as he is the centre of the Bible story. You may think that your life is about seeking to please your parents, seeking to please your, your spouse, seeking to please your boss or your work colleagues, the centre of your story is having Jesus there, the one who has died and has risen for you, knowing God's grace that you're a loved and accepted child of God, that through him you can have hope for the future, through him you can be equipped and empowered by his Holy Spirit to make the good news of his death and resurrection of repentance and forgiveness in him. You can make that known to those around you. So that rather than living in fear of them, you can live with hope and with a desire to make him the centre of their story as well. We thank God this morning for our, this wonderful good news that we have, 
for giving us his word and finding our Lord Jesus at the centre of the story. And we pray that he'll be at the centre of our story too. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving God, we do thank you for your grace to us that you saw fit to reveal yourself through your word that you spoke through the prophets, through the apostles. And you spoke through our Lord Jesus and that you have revealed your one and only Son in the glory of his humiliation, in the glory of his resurrection, in the power that we have through believing in him. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to engage with your word, to see the story of your uh, power at work through history, culminating in the coming of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray that we would draw great hope as we look forward to him coming in great glory to judge and to restore all things. We pray that you would help each of us, Father, to, to have eyes to see how we stand before you and why we need this story. We pray, Father, that you would... Uh, encourage us and equip us to make our Lord Jesus known and indeed to uh, be comforted by the grace that we have in him and the wonderful forgiveness uh, that we have through his death for our sins. Uh, help us then with these things we pray. In our Lord Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen.